Happy Easter, and thank you for listening to this message from Northwest Hills Community Church in Corvallis, Oregon. You can learn more about our church at nwhills.com. Today, lead pastor Josh Karstensen continues a series called What is Going On, where we read the entire Bible in a year. And fantastic news, we started the New Testament today. Matthew writes about his experience with Jesus. And Matthew's goal is to introduce us to the real Jesus, not the one we think we want him to be, but the real one. And because of misconceptions, many people rejected Jesus. So Matthew systematically shows us how Jesus is the person God promised all the way back in Genesis, and Jesus is the only one to give us peace. After the message and throughout the week, read the book of Matthew. Also, check out nwhills.com slash hub, that's H-U-B, for additional resources like book overviews, reading plans, and application questions. Now, here's today's message. We're in a series in a year long where we've been asking that question, what is going on? It's, it's a question that I, I think really comes to a head at Easter, Particularly a couple thousand years ago, right? You got, you got this guy that is saying he's God. First of all, that's a what is going on moment. Um, then uh, you've got this whole nation that's been anticipating someone like him, but turns out they don't actually like him, so they kill him. And what's going on with that? And then he comes back to life, right? And, and there's a whole lot of what's going on with that. Um, and then past that, you, you got uh, someone who's writing 30 years after all this and and a lot of people still reject him. A lot of people still are like, yeah, like even, even if you rose from the dead, like, I, I, I really just don't care. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter a whole lot to me. And so what's going on with that, right? There, there's a lot of what's going on questions. And, and we ask what's going on all the time when we look at our world, right? It's a very easy question to ask. Um, you, you look at the news and, and just over and over you can ask, dude, what is going on? Right? And with all kinds of different things, uh, with huge things, right? Like you look at like geopolitics and what's going on in the world, and, and there's just a lot of heartache, there's a lot of heartbreak, and, and you can wonder, God, where are you in that? Right? Yeah, some of us, like uh, family things are going on, and there's big things, and there's personal things, and, and we have all kinds of questions. What is going on? And, and with all these what's going on questions, ultimately the question underneath all of it is, God, what are, what are you doing in this? Um, I, I hear that you exist and I hear that you're good. God, but, but what are you doing? What's going on? And, and the truth is that we can also ask these questions about more simple things in life. They don't always have to be big things. They can be small things. You know, like I've had a shoulder injury or shoulder. I've had an elbow injury for like nine months. I'm just like, God, why? Like, I, I know you could fix this, right? But for whatever reason, you're deciding to let me live in pain and agony. But here we go. We just keep going, right? Like this happens all the time. Uh, two weeks ago, my wife was, was gone on uh, the mission trip with our team here, and they had a great trip down there. When she was gone, uh, I decided I'm going to paint one of our bathrooms, and uh, it's, it's a good thing to do when the wifey's gone, and uh, so I'm, I'm prepping for it, and I've done a lot of painting in my day. Like, I've painted well over 100 rooms easily, um, and I'm feeling the walls, and, and they're like real chalky for some reason. I'm like, that's kind of weird, and so I'm thinking, like, well, I, I need to scrub these down well, or else the paint's not going to stick, and so I spend a few hours just really prepping uh, these walls, a lot of scrubbing, a lot of 409, you know, getting it all ready, and I, I paint, and it's a deep, dark teal, and I'm painting everything, like ceiling included, and I get that first coat done, and then I go to a section that's dry and it's complete, and I, and I kind of scratch it with my finger, and, and like, the paint easily comes off. 
Like, oh gosh, what's happening right now? What's going on? And I, I think, well, maybe that's just a section that had some oil from hairspray or something like that. Um, not for me. I live with a lot of ladies. But, um, and I, I go to another section, and sure enough, like a huge chunk of paint comes off, and, and I'm like, uh-oh. So I, I search Dr. Google, like, hey, what is happening? And, and Google tells me that I painted latex paint over oil-based paint, and the only way to fix this is literally, like with a stupid scraper, scraping off every ounce of paint that I put in that bathroom. And so I'm just sitting in my living room for a while, and I'm not, I'm not wanting to give in to this reality. I'm just wanting to deny it and hope that there's another solution and so I call one of my best friends who's a painter, and I say, hey, Greg, um, here's the situation. What's going on? And he goes, there's no solution. Like, you put in your earphones, and you go to work, and there's nothing else you can do. And six hours later of turning my bathroom into a sauna with, like, a lot of hot water and literally scraping and sanding, we got that back to ground zero. Three days wasted. Thank you, Lord. What is going on? <laughs> right? Like... Again, they can be silly, stupid things, right? Like God could have, he could have just said, he could have brought something into my mind that said, maybe this is oil-based paint in the 90s. This was a thing. You should think about this. But that didn't happen. And here I was, right? And so, stupid illustration, but the point being, like we, we have all these what's going on questions, And again, behind the big questions, right, the big ones, and behind the silly ones, we're trying to figure out where's God in all this. Like, is God working? Is he moving? Did he do this on purpose? Is he allowing this to happen? What's the lesson to be learned? And and in order to answer the big, big questions, we're going through the entire Bible this year. A lot of you have been going through it with us, right? One book a week, all the way through. And and we're asking God, God, what's your story behind all of this? And and as we've been going through this story early on, literally page three in my Bible of 1,042 pages, we see where this what is going on question comes from, right? On page three, we see that God created us and we were literally in Eden, right? We were in this perfect garden with the presence of God. Everything was amazing until we said, God, I think I want something else. And he gives us something else. And that something else is thorns and thistles and it's in the desert, right? And from that moment forward, it's through that lens that every time we ask what's going on, we're reminded that we don't live in Eden anymore, We're reminded that we are not close with the presence of God like we once were back then. And we have this deep longing to try to get back there. And on that same page, right, page three, God makes a promise to humanity and says, I'm going to send someone. I'm going to send a person. And through this person, I am going to fix, restore, and bring peace like you once had it. And from that story, we move forward the next couple thousand years, right? If you've been with us, we've been reading page after page. We're 800 some odd pages in, in like six or seven months. Good job for those of you who've been keeping up, right? But after all those pages and all those stories, we are reminded over and over, over 300 different times, God says, this is what that person is going to look like. This is where they're going to be born. Right? This is what their family is going to be like. This is who they come from. This is their lineage. And people are waiting and we're waiting and we're waiting. God, where are you? God, where is this promised person? Where is this peace? Like, it'd be really nice to get back to an Eden-like state. But by the time that story's done, we're 800 pages in, a few thousand years in, it's pretty similar to, Eden, to, to post-Eden. 
Like it's pretty similar to Genesis chapter 4 at this point, right? We get to the story of Nehemiah at the very end and he's like, God, I have tried to follow you. I've tried to get a people to love you. I have tried, but it's not working. We're failing. God, where are you? And then we get this 400-year period where God doesn't seem to be saying much of anything at all, right? And it's an interesting period where, where no angels are speaking, no one's prophesying. It doesn't appear like God's doing a whole lot. And then out of nowhere, seemingly, this guy named Jesus comes on the scene, and he claims to be this person that was promised back on page 3. But it's interesting because in his claim of being this person, right, people ultimately reject him. And they reject him so much so that they're like, we don't like you. We want someone else. And so we're going to kill you. And then he comes back to life. And ultimately, his people still primarily reject him. Some accept him, right? And, And that became a movement, right? We're part of that movement today. But there's a lot of people who 30 years after he rose from the dead still rejected him. And it's to that rejection of him that the author, Matthew, one of Jesus' close friends, that he writes this letter, that he writes this story, and he writes it to say, no, 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 guys, you missed it. The Jesus, the the, the Messiah that you were waiting for, the one from page three, no, that really is Jesus. And let me show you why it was him. And so this week, I would invite you, uh, read the story of Matthew. In the story of Matthew, we're going to see over and over and over Matthew say, no, no, guys, that's, that's him to a culture that absolutely rejected him. And so in our time, what I want to do is I want to look at a couple things. I want to look at, A, what did Matthew say, and how was he trying to convince people that Jesus really was this person from page three? And then I want to ask the question, how did they miss Jesus? Because the reality is I have a lot of sympathy for them, and I think it's actually pretty understandable being in the state that they were in, why they missed Jesus back then. And I think it's very similar to most of our world today. I think most of the world today, even if they say, hey, that may have happened, most of the world says, it doesn't really matter to me. And so how did that happen back then, and how does that happen today? And then we'll land on what do we do next. So what did Matthew say? If you got a Bible, we're going to start out in uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, He starts very different than all the other gospel writers. We're starting a whole new section of scripture. We got four different gospels. Uh, Think of it this way. Think about uh, a bunch of people hanging out together and four people writing about what that hangout looked like. And they write about it from different angles, different perspectives. So they share a lot of similar stories, but some are a little bit different. Doesn't mean that one's right or wrong. It just means like, hey, this is how I experienced it. And this is what God's speaking through me. And so Matthew does it through his unique lens. And so let's just pick it up. He does something very different. No other gospel writer starts like this. He starts with a genealogy. So let's go chapter 1, verse 1. Part of me wanted to read the whole thing, but we'll, we'll not do that. Uh, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He, he starts with what they would have been anticipating, Right? This nation that had been waiting for thousands of years knew that this promised person would come from the line of David. They knew that he would come from the family of Abraham. And so Matthew's going to say, hey, let's go all the way back to the beginning, to what you are waiting for. I know you're waiting for this. Now let me like, watch this as I systematically take you all the way through the story of where this person came from. Verse 2. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and all the way to Jesus. 
Check number one, does this person come from the right family? Right, that's a pretty big deal. Right? If Matthew's trying to make the case that this person is who you were waiting for, you got to check those boxes first. And so Matthew just gets that out right in the beginning. And he says, hey, this is him. And then you notice over and over and over, 126 different times in his story, Matthew's going to say, look what was said in the Old Testament. Look at who Jesus is. Right? 89 different times, Jesus himself is going to quote, look what the prophet said. And look what's happening right now. They said this about me, and look what's happening. Right? That, that story continues uh, as we go on to the latter part of chapter 1. You go to the end of chapter 1, verse 22, and uh, Matthew's going to say that Jesus was born of a virgin, right? Which, again, is significant. And he's going to say this, and he's going to say this multiple times throughout his book. In verse 22 of, verse of chapter 1, he says, And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Right? Because Isaiah 700 years earlier said, the person that you're waiting for is going to be born of a virgin. And here's Matthew saying, hey, remember that thing you were waiting for? Yeah, it happened. Right? And he continues that over and over and over. And you will catch this theme as you read the story of Matthew. Right? In, in the next chapter, in chapter 2, verse 5, he says, where does Jesus come from? He says he comes from Bethlehem. Duh, everyone was waiting for this king to come from Bethlehem. Remember Micah chapter 5 verse 2? We're waiting for him. So over and over and over, Matthew's heart is to say, I want you to know the real Jesus. Right, because here's the thing. 30 years after Jesus rose from the grave, right, you've got a bunch of people who have their ideas of who they think Jesus was, and a lot of them were rejecting him. And so Matthew's writing to say, hey, uh, I don't want you to reject a false version of who you think Jesus is. And I also don't want you to fall in love with a false version of who you think Jesus is. Right? Because it's easy for us. It's easy for our culture. I, I don't know if you've ever had conversations with people before where, where they'll say like, oh, I'm, I'm glad that you're a Christian or you're doing the whole church thing. I'm not really into Jesus. And then you ask them questions. Well, well what, what about Jesus aren't you into? And, and a lot of times it's just like, well, I don't know, like, I'm like, have you actually read anything about him? Do you actually know anything about him? Well, I've heard a few things and like, no, like, like know the real Jesus. Like, I think this is true of the gospel at large too. I think sometimes we do ourselves a disservice by not knowing the truth of who God is because we're lazy sometimes and we don't open his word and read it. Right? I, I think about a couple weeks ago when I was driving up from California, I was driving home and I'm on I-5 and with my two little kids and, and I see this super sweet, super nice sports car pass me, uh, like a very expensive sports car. And on the back, it had this big sticker and it said Philippians 4.13. And thank you for laughing, right? Because if you know Philippians 4.13, right, it is this passage that talks about how you can get through anything in life through absolute pain and hardship and suffering because God's with you. Like that sticker, I'm just going to throw it out there, belongs in like a 97 like Dodge Metro something with like three different kinds of paint and missing hubcaps and is like backfiring through school zones. Like it doesn't belong on a really nice luxury car. Like I think sometimes though like we take this Christianity, these ideas that we think about, what they might be, and we kind of pour them into our cocktail of whatever beliefs we might have. And so Matthew's trying to say, no, like, I want you to know the real Jesus. I want you to know who I am. Right? And so today, just simple question for us when we come in here, like, for all of us, do we know the real Jesus? Right? If you've said, you know what, that Jesus isn't for me, I just want to ask you, do you know who you're rejecting? 
Right? Matthew's heart for the, his readers are, I want you to know who you think that you're rejecting, and he's not who you think he is. Right? And for those of us who have accepted Jesus, like it's a constant reminder of reminding, no, who Jesus is, because I, I think I have my own version that I kind of constantly want to put out there in front of me, and Matthew's going to say, no, 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 Jesus isn't who you think he is. He, he's so much more than you think he is. Moving on. Why did people reject Jesus? How in the world did they miss him? Um, here's where, again, I, I want to have some sympathy to the people that were living during that time. Because I think it can be really easy to look back at a couple thousand years and say, are you kidding me? Like, you saw Jesus raised from the dead. How can you not believe that he's God? Right? But, but the reality is, I, I think it's easier than we think. I think it's easier than we think to say, well, yeah, maybe someone did raise from the dead, but maybe I don't really care because what he has to offer isn't what I'm looking for, right? You, you think about where this nation was and why a lot of them rejected Jesus, right? You think about the pain that they came from. You think about the hardship. You think about the oppression that they were under, right? For, for those of us who have been following the story, um, we know this pain, and it's a real pain. It's significant, Right? And, and we come here, all of us, with pain. We come here with different things on our plates. And, and we all come here with different longings. But put yourself, just for a minute, with life back there. Right? So, so what's going on during this time period? Like, what's happening when Jesus is literally on earth? What's going on in the culture and in the nation of Israel? Right? Let's rewind just a few years. Let's go back 900 years. Right, for some of you, this is going to be familiar. With some of you, this may be new. But I want you to listen in on and just put yourself to what it would have been like to be on the ground with Jesus. So 900 years prior to Jesus coming to earth, right, 900 years earlier, the nation was doing pretty well. Right? You've got uh, King David, who everything was flourishing under him. And King Solomon, things were going pretty well until after he dies. And then the nation absolutely falls apart. Think about the civil war that ensues right after him. Civil war started within a family. Right? I mean, I mean it's, you read about it in a book, but then you think about what that's actually like, what civil war would be like. Right? It would be like having a nation where you have two polarizing different ideologies of how we ought to live. Right? I know, it's a crazy idea. <laughs> right? These things happen. But think about this. Like at some point, you're drawing dividing lines, and you're saying, whose side are you on? And you know that split families. You know that split friend groups. Right? You know that split local synagogues? Some people left and went north, and they created their own country. Right? And some people stayed south. And, and think about the pain that happened in the north. Right? 150 years after this, Assyria comes in and literally levels the new capital that they created in Samaria. Right? You think about that pain of what that would have been like. They were surrounded by for three years. Like Think about being in a city... It's just hard to believe. Being in a city surrounded by an invading army for three years, nothing coming in, nothing going out, most people starve to death. Right? Like, like what, what is that like? And then, and then after they are surrounded for three years, eventually they're overtaken. Right? And, and they, the description is some are taken away by chains attached by fish hooks to human bodies. And those people are gone forever. Like we literally, after we read that in scripture, they're done. They're gone. We don't read anything about them. End of story, chapter closed, it's over. And then we get a little bit of a story from the, the southern part, the other part of the nation. We get two of the 12 tribes left, and that's Judah, and that's Benjamin. And, and we remember some of us who've been reading this, what happened to them. 
That wasn't an easy history, right? What happens to them? They get surrounded by another nation, right? By Babylon for 18 months. The city of Jerusalem is surrounded, right? Once again, nothing coming in, nothing going out. Most people starve to death. And if they did not starve, they were killed in battle afterwards. And a few were exiled, right? Meaning some of the people that made it through were taken in chains again, 900 miles away to Babylon. And so here they are, they're living in Babylon, right? Again, put yourself there. God, where's this great promise that you made, right? I thought you were going to lead us into a great land. I thought you were bringing peace. Where's this person of hope that's going to bring restoration to my country and my soul? Where is that? Doesn't feel very great when you're living in Babylon, well, then what happens in Babylon, right? You, you remember there's another army that's churning up right now. A two and a half million army led by the immortals, by the Persians, by Nebuchadnezzar and Cyrus. They came in and they conquer Babylon, right? So now Israel is under slavery to a whole new nation of Persia, right? But God does something really unique under this nation of Persia. It's pretty, pretty wild. God says to the king, hey, I want you to send my people back and those people can build me my house once again. And we see them go back and some of them rebuild. And it's this moment of excitement, but it's a reminder that they're still under slavery and they still have oppressing nations all around them. And they still don't have the land. They don't have the absolute freedom that they long for. And then you get to the end of this story, and they're saying, God, we're still waiting. Where are you? Right? And then we get 400 years of silence. Right? But in that 400 years, it doesn't mean nothing ever happened. Right? If you know your history outside of the Bible, remember what happens here. Right? A couple, like a hundred years goes by, and what's going on in Greece at this time? Right? We've got some of the most famous philosophers ever to exist. Right? You've got um, Plato. You've got Aristotle. You've got Aristotle's student by the name of Alexander. Right? Alexander the Great. Some of you will remember this. Alexander the Great, by the age of 24, conquers most of all of Europe. Uh, he conquers North Africa. He conquers uh, the whole region of the Middle East by the age of 24. And with that came this little place called Palestine, this little city of Jerusalem, this little nation of the Jews. And along with the conquering of Alexander the Great came this whole new movement of like Greco-Roman uh, uh, imp- impression of Hellenization, this idea that we're going to turn the whole world Greek Right? And so with this impression of we're wanting the whole world to be Greek, we're going to stomp out anything that's Hebrew. And what does that mean? So this nation of God's people, no longer are they allowed to practice Sabbath. Right? No longer are they allowed to have their own scriptures. I mean, literally, think about this. If someone comes in and says, if you have that Bible, we can kill you. Like, what, what does that feel like as a nation where God's you know, apparently coming to bring peace to the world through you? That doesn't feel good. Think about what that was like. They were under that type of oppression for 10 years. The Greeks, um, they overtake their temple. Uh, They set up a a statue to Zeus there. And at the height of this, Antiochus Epiphanes slaughters a pig on the altar in the temple. You think about the absolute heinousness of what that would have been like. If you remember reading the law and how important it was to find a, a holy, blameless, precious animal, and they're taking the most defiled of animals and they're slaughtering it on the altar. Right? And what does that do? All that does is it instills an uprising amongst the Jewish people. Right? Three years war ensues. Right? It's called the Maccabean Rebellion. Right? And at the end of three years, finally, the Jews get their freedom back. They get their city back. They get their temple back. They, they get their culture back. And you're wondering again, God, are you going to do something? Are you going to bring someone? Is it, what's going to happen? 
Do we finally have the freedom and autonomy that we want? Well, 80 years goes by and another superpower begins to rise. This one by the name of Rome, right? For 500 years, Rome had been a republic, um, not necessarily looking to take over the whole world, but recently it had become an empire and the emperor wants to continue uh, expanding. And so they march into Jerusalem, they march into the city and they take over once again and they give him a puppet king. His name is Herod. Right? You might remember this from when Jesus was born. And what do we know about Herod? Right? We know a couple things about Herod. We know that he was uh, pretty egomaniacal. He was afraid that people would usurp his throne. Right? You remember the killing of all the babies in Bethlehem because he didn't want anyone to rise up and be a new king. And he also, he was pretty insecure and he wanted people to love him. And he wasn't a Jew, but he was overseeing the Jews. And so he's like, okay, how can I win everyone over? What can I do? I can rebuild and build a grander temple. And he builds this temple and it takes them, he starts in 19 BC and it takes them 46 years with 10,000 workers. And in the building of this temple, to which to this day you can still see the foundations of it called the Western Wailing Wall, right? He builds this temple and he smashes together Roman rule and Jewish worship. And you've got a people who you want to talk about oppressed You want to talk about a people that all that they've known for a thousand years is slavery, is poverty, is war, is abuse. Like when when Jesus comes riding on a donkey into town and they're waving what is the equivalent of their national flag in the palm branches and they're laying them on the ground, what do you think they're anticipating? What do you think they're yelling out for? They're yelling out for freedom. Get Rome out of here. I, I want my nation I want my language, I want my, my temple, I want my people, I don't want anyone over me oppressing me. Get them all out. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't get them all out. He doesn't give the people what they want. So what do they do? They kill them. Because they want something different. And then he does something no one anticipated. He raises from the dead. And in the raising from the dead, some people understand that to be, you're God, and you're doing something different than I anticipated. But that's not what a lot of Matthew's readers were reading initially. A lot of them still rejected Jesus, which is why he's writing in the first place. A lot of them said, you know what, 30 years after Jesus rose from the dead, my life still didn't get any better, right? I'm still under Roman occupation. I still didn't get the job that I wanted. My marriage is still a wreck. My friends are still not that great. Like whatever life may be, it's still not that great. What does Jesus do for me, right? If Jesus, if you can't give me the things that I want, why should I even care? Let's be honest, like there's a part of all of us Every single person that that rings true, right? I mean, I've had way too many conversations with friends and I've had way too many conversations with myself to know that I have a desire that God exists to fulfill what I think that I need. And when the cross gives us something that we don't think that we need, it's easy to say, no, thank you, right? But what does the cross actually give us? The cross gives us the peace of God in the midst of Roman occupation, 
Right, the cross gives us the peace of God that we need because of sin and restores us to the Father. The cross says, hey, in the midst of whatever you're living in, I'm not going to take you back to Eden, but where you are, I'm going to bring Eden to you. Right, the cross says, hey, if you're in the middle of a mess right now, whatever life's going on, like, I can give you peace in the midst of whatever. Right, and we've all got that whatever. Right, the cross says, hey, I can give you this peace because because I paid for what you need the most. And yes, one day I will bring you back to Eden. But here's the big charge, and here's the charge from Matthew, and here's the charge from Jesus himself. He says, once you know that you've been forgiven, once you know that you can have my peace, my call to you is to bring that peace, to bring that Eden to the world, right? And and that's what he does, right? That's what Matthew does. That's why Matthew's life is completely turned upside down, because you think about who Matthew is as a writer, Right? He was a Roman tax collector. So he was a Jew who was working for the occupying force and he was stealing money from his own people to satisfy personal needs of an occupying Roman force. Right? But what happens to him? He gets his life turned upside down and he becomes radically generous and he follows Jesus to the point of, like, it doesn't make his life better. In fact, it, it costs him his life. Like Matthew's, Matthew ends up dying because he obeys what Jesus says to do. So as we wrap it up on this Easter Sunday, I just got to ask, do you know the real Jesus? All of us want a certain form of Jesus. And Matthew's here to say, "Do, do you know the real Jesus? The Jesus that brings peace to your soul because he forgives sin. And ultimately, yes, he will restore and he will bring us to Eden, a.k.a. heaven, where the presence of God will fully dwell. But in the meantime, like I... You can have peace where you are, and then I want you to bring that peace to other people, right? And and that's our charge, right? Our our charge isn't just to stay and long for Eden, right? Our charge is not to just stay this holy huddle here, right? Like, you think about this gathering right now, and this is nice, right? We're all dressed up, and and we're all having good times, and and we got food, and and hopefully you have a friend, and if you're lonely, find a new one. There's people around here. There's a lot of lonely people. We can all be friends. But the invitation is do this every once in a while, and then leave, Right? And, and go to the world. Right? You think about Jesus' last words. What does he say? Go into all the world. He doesn't say, oh, just stay in that upper room and just all be friends. Isn't life nice when it's all just comfortable? Right? He's like, no, think about what I did. I left that upper room. I left relationship with the Father and the Spirit in like perfect harmony. I didn't have to deal with all your garbage. But you know what? I dealt with it all to bring you peace. And now I want you to go do that as well. So our charge is that we are a church who has the peace of Jesus, who brings the peace of Jesus to the world. But it starts with understanding who the real Jesus is. Would you pray with me? Father God, um, it's, it's easy to look back a few thousand years and to question, how did people miss you? God, but then it's, it's not that hard to see how they missed you at the same time. They missed you because they wanted something different than what you offered. God, and and we all come in here, the truth is we all come in here with wants. God, we all come in here with huge longings. God, longings to be known. God, longings to belong. Longings to have purpose. Longing for friendship. God, longing for a position of influence. Longing to feel like I matter, longing to feel beautiful, longing to feel accepted, whatever those longings are. And sometimes when we put our faith in you, like 
it's just me and you, Jesus. And on the outside, we still have those longings. Jesus, you tell us that you're enough. I pray that we'd believe that this morning. I pray that whatever longing we have to get back to Eden, God, you promised that someday. We'll we'll get there someday. But God, I I pray that we would experience Eden in the midst of Rome right now. Because we're living here. God, but you have us here for a reason. So when we look around, we go, what's going on? God's saying, I have you right where you need to be. And I I want you to be me to the world right now. God, help us to get that. Help us to to truly believe that. Jesus, thank you for conquering death and and ultimately bringing peace to where I need it the most. Not where I feel it, but where I need it. And God, help me to to live like you, to live in that upside down world. God, that, that world where the first will be last and last will be first. That world where you say love the least of these. God, that world where you say in, in the Sermon on the Mount over and over, you have heard what is said, but I say to you, God, like we hear in our minds what we want and, and you've got a different message for us. Help us to believe it. Help us to live it out. Help us to hold on to what matters most and that is a love from you, God. Help us to know that we are loved. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. I love you guys. Thanks for listening to today's teaching from Northwest Hills Community Church. We hope you find ways to apply the gospel to your life. And be sure to check out our website, nwhills.com, where you'll find ways to engage with us. And if you're able, we'd love to see you at church next Sunday. Thanks again for listening.